Good morning. My name's Alka, and um, I'm going to do the Bible reading today, which is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. Um, and that's on page 1230 in the Black Bibles, if you've got one of those from the church. But before we do that, I'd like to pray. Dear Father God, I... Um, confess that as I watch the news and as I um, hear about other people and um, things that are going on in their lives, I am really quick to judge. And, um, but this pas passage asks me to examine myself and I realise I fall so short. But this passage also gives me hope that if I submit to your will, you will work in me so that I can love others as you have loved me. I pray that as we um, prepare for in Lent, um, for Easter, that um, we will think about what your sacrifice has done and that we will be willing to submit to you. Ask all of this in your name. Amen. Uh, 1 John chapter 4, starting at verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we all also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he is in us. He has given us his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. All right. 
Well, as Scott mentioned earlier, we are continuing on with our series looking at the vision and values of our church to start the year. Uh, We've covered a fair bit of ground so far. This is the the second to last week in this series. In in week one, we looked at our vision, uh, which is to be an ever-growing community of people who love the Lord and one another. Uh, Then we looked at our mission to make Christ-like disciples in Southeast Brisbane and beyond. And over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the values that underpin our vision and our mission, all right? You don't always see the foundations, you don't always uh, see what's beneath the building, but they're really, really important for building well, all right? And as we've been looking at these, it's because we want to make sure that uh, what we're building on is strong and trustworthy and true. And so we've looked at what it means for us to be a people who uh, have the Bible at the heart of what we're doing, a value of being biblical, Uh, we've looked at last week at what it means for us to be Christ-centered as a community, and this week, we're looking at what it means for us to be loving. And, in some, and those three values are chosen deliberately because they represent three different things that are really important to us. The, the Bible is our foundational value for how we know things. Being Christ-centered is the center of our understanding of theology and what the scriptures teach us. And being loving is the overarching sort of uh, framework for how we live well in this world. All right? We're going to see the, the essentialness of that. And it's really important for us to actually spend some time thinking about love because our world have lots of different ideas about what love is. And I want to give you just, just one example uh, of a sort of you know, how we think about the world by telling you uh, the greatest romance you've never heard of, okay? So this is uh, Peter Abelard and, and Heloise, all right? I can't believe they haven't made a movie out of this one, actually. So Peter Abelard, uh, 12th century, theologian, firebrand, uh, philosopher, speaker, all right, just a, a, a lightning rod for public attention. This is back in the day when, like, you know, when they had nothing you know, better to do on a Saturday night, they'd go and hear the local philosopher, because, yeah. Uh, anyway, he was renowned. He ended up teaching at the University of Notre Dame, uh, and just, you know, when he was at his absolute zenith of, of popularity and power... Uh, he was introduced to a young woman who was, who was the daughter of one of the, sorry, the niece of one of the guys at Notre Dame, and her name was Heloise. She was trained in Greek and Latin and Hebrew, everything a guy could be looking for, and she immediately took his heart, strong-willed, independent, and the two of them fall madly, deeply in love and have this secret relationship, very much done in the shadows, uh, and, you know, but at the same time, it, it's starting to get out that, hey, on, you know, Peter Abelard's not paying that much attention to his students anymore, what's going on in this life, you know, scandal is brewing, and she falls pregnant, uh, and so he has her go and stay with his family in, in Brittany, uh, and essentially, the, the two of them, uh, as a result of this, never see each other again. Uh, to, to avoid the scandal and that sort of stuff, she ends up um, giving birth to their child, Astrolabe. <laughs> Whatever works for you. Uh, and eventually becomes a, a nun, uh, sort of against her will. She's not really that crash hot on the idea, but she goes and, and eventually becomes uh, the head of an abbey. Meanwhile, he, uh, despite the fact that he manages to marry her in secret and all this sort of stuff, the scandal is too much. And the guy that originally introduced them, Heloise's uncle, uh, is not happy that they've gotten married. He still thinks that this whole business is not cool. And so he hires a bunch of dudes to break into his house in the middle of the night and castrate him. Yeah. (laughs) 
That might be why they haven't made a movie out of it, actually, now they think about it. Um, but this is what's really fascinating about this love story is these two, despite the fact that they never see each other again, continue to write to each other. In fact, we don't have any of their correspondence from before the tragedy. We only have their love letters from afterwards when they're not really together. They're married legally, but not in any sense you know, connected physically or geographically. And they, 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 their love letters are just full of the complexity of human emotion and, and the fact that they both know that their ability to, to serve God and to fill the, the roles that they've been given is being torn apart by this love for each other that they just can't actually get past. And it's really interesting because in lots of ways, our world would look at this as this love story and say, you know, well, the, the, the church and, you know, all these moral things sort of kept them apart and destroyed this absolutely beautiful thing. And yet for the two of them... They, they see it, and remember, these are smart people, right? Deep, deep thinkers. For them, love has become this, this, this painful, torturous thing because as much as they want to be together, they're both sort of not sure that this is indeed a good thing. But they recognize its power. This is what uh, Abelard wrote in one of his letters. It is a thousand times more easy to renounce the world than love. I hate this deceitful, faithless world. I think no more of it. But my wandering heart still eternally seeks you and is filled with anguish at having lost you in spite of all the powers of my reason. Love, in so many ways, just destroyed the, the, these two. It led them on paths that they never intended, in places that they never wanted to go. And it doesn't mean that love is bad, but it does mean that love is this powerful force that if it's not grounded in the source of all love can be really, really destructive. And so we're going to look at what the scriptures have to say about love. We're going to look at how it talks about scripture being, about it being the greatest love, about how love is the greatest. We're going to think about love in God, the love of Christ, love in the spirit, and then finally love for one another. So first one, under the idea of being the greatest is love, all right, point one, love is at the heart of the greatest Commandments. This is really all about establishing the Bible's high view of love. All right? We've seen this before, uh, but in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is having this debate back and forth with the Pharisees, and uh, a teacher of the law, coming and seeing this debate, comes and says to him, uh, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. The Bible has a really high view of love. The fulfillment of the law, which we don't normally think about when it comes to love, the fulfillment of God's law to his people is expressed in love for God and love for others. High view of love, the greatest of these is love. And we could argue very easily that the Bible teaches us that love is essential for godly living, for the godly living, for godly living. Okay? So we read famously in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, 
but do not have love, I gain nothing. And at the end of that passage, he concludes it again by saying, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Love is fundamental to what it means to be obedient to God in this world, and it's fundamental to give truth, meaning, purpose, and beauty to anything that we do. Paul's whole point here is to say that you can do all sorts of good things. You can do all sorts of things that fulfill the law, that are righteous. But if you do it without love, it's it's a clanging symbol that has nothing to it. We read, we hear from the reading that we had just before. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must love their brother and sister. Love is not an optional extra for the people of God. You can't be a good Christian or in the language we would like to use more, a mature Christian, and not love. It doesn't matter how awesome you are at showing up to church each week. It doesn't matter how great you are at reading your Bible. It doesn't matter how good you are at making meals for other people. If you're doing all these things from a place of of duty and obligation, but without love in your heart, love for God and love for others, then it's, it's empty. It's not what it's meant to be. Love is absolutely essential for godly living. And where we get this from is because of the relationship between love and God that the scripture speaks about really profoundly. The first and most fundamental point is that God is love. I always joke about this, that it's particularly important for Presbyterians to remember this one, uh, because when we wrote uh, back in the 1600s, all right, uh, our doctrinal statement that, that talks about everything that we believe, um, we accidentally left out this one, this, this verse, uh, when talking about you know, who God is and all that sort of stuff. We've been paying for it by being made fun of by everyone ever since. Um, it is in some of the other documents, just so we're clear, but it does sort of get to the fact that there's so much to think about in how we live and all that sort of stuff that it, it can actually be really easy to forget that at its very heart, the, the description that God gives to himself is that he is love. It's one of the clearest descriptions that he gives of himself. God is love. He writes again from the reading, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not know God, sorry, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. To claim to be a follower of God, to claim to know him and yet not be loving is to fundamentally not know him because if you would, then you would know you were meant to be loving as he is. He says it twice in this passage, towards the end, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. To live in God is to live in love. That's how fundamental this idea is for us. This is why when we talk about how we live in this world, love is is the one that has to be first and foremost as the framework and the center of what we're doing because God himself is love. 
And how do we know this? Well, the Bible tells us that God shows us his love through sending the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The love of God is most clearly revealed to us in that in his perfect relationship within himself, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, his love for us is most clearly demonstrated in sending the Son into this world to become one of us in order that he might pay the price to rescue us. As Paul writes it in Romans 5, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Love is so foundational to God's nature that even when he is, the object of his affection is those who do not deserve it, he still gives it freely. And we know this most truly in the fact that he sent Christ to die, not for a bunch of good people, not for a bunch of people that earned it and deserved it, but for people like us, people who've fallen short of God's glory, of his standards, who've broken his law, who if we were to trace back the, the words that we've spoken, the acts that we've done, we, we'd know that we're not deserving of, of this perfectly loving God's affection, and yet he gives it to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, it's God's love that's what leads him to save us. Most famously, in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There's this interesting thing in Scripture where if you really want to boil down to it, like why does God do what he does, sort of the biggest answer to that question is it's for his glory. God is the most glorious thing in all things. He should get all glory because by virtue of who he is. But so often when he describes why he acts towards us in a certain way, it's not expressed in terms of his glory, but in terms of his love for us. Does that serve his glory? Absolutely. But what he wants us to know is that he's acting because he loves us. And that's what, led, it's what leads him to act in this world, particularly to save and rescue us. Also, we need to know about the love of God that nothing can separate those in Christ from the love of God. That in the perfect love that he demonstrates towards us, that all of us who believe, that all those of us who are, who are part of the body of Christ, all of us who, who live under his rule and his reign by trusting in him, nothing can take us from God. Paul writes in Romans, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of God given to us so powerfully cannot be taken away. All those who believe and trust in the Lord Jesus, we live in the love of God, whether you feel it or not. There are things that can get in the way of this. That, you know, we, we make the mistake of thinking that, that when we sin or we act in a way that's unbecoming towards God, that, that maybe this, this takes us away from the, the, 
the love that God has for us. But what he clearly says to us is that all those who are believing and trusting in Jesus, nothing can separate us from the love of God that we know through him. And so it's really important for us to understand what the love of Christ is and the love that he shows us, the way that we ground ourselves in the knowledge that God is love and that nothing can separate us from that love is to know truly the gospel and the way that God reveals his love to us through the Son's love. So the love of Christ. First thing we need to know is that Christ's love is grounded in the Father's love. From John 15, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, which remember, we say it all the time, in John's gospel means, believe in me. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Christ loves us because the Father loves us, because God in Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the love that they have for one another is given to us, that Christ's love is grounded in the divine love that the Father has. But the way that that love plays out particularly for Christ, is that his love is sacrificial. He says this, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. If you ask Jesus what is the greatest love that somebody can share for one another, it's it's to sacrifice yourself for them. It's the love that I'm going to Act out for you, my friends. That's what the greatest example of love is. Paul picks this up in his letter to the Ephesians. He writes, Follow God's examples, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Christ's love is marked first and foremost by the sacrifice and suffering that he was willing to endure in order to love another. And then love in the Spirit. Got the Father, got the Son, got to have the Spirit, right? God's love is given to us by the Spirit. I always think this is actually important, guys, to, to understand how the Trinity works in some of these things. Because so often we get confused about what it is that the Spirit does, and this can sort of seem like this vague, shaky thing and all that sort of stuff. But the Bible's full of things that specifically the Spirit does for us. And I think it's important to to know this and understand it. So it says famously in Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is, first and foremost, first one, first cup off the rank, love. It's a lot of other things that come along with that. But first thing listed, the greatest of these, is love. When we believe in Jesus, his spirit comes to reside in us, and the product of his indwelling in us is now love. That's what grows forth from that work that he does in us. Indeed, in Romans, Paul writes, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When we're struggling to love, when we feel maybe we don't feel the presence of God's love, or maybe we don't feel as though we're able to give love out to others, the person of the Trinity that we pray for to be active and alive in our lives is the Spirit. 
God, please send your spirit into my heart so that I might know your love and so that I might be loving to others also. It's a great prayer for us to pray. All right. Last one, we're going to spend a bit of time on this. I want to really flesh this one out for us. I want to make sure that we understand why the Bible is so big on love. I want to make sure how it's grounded in God's love first and foremost, because we're going to see in just a second this is really important for us. But I really want us to think hard here for these, this last section here together on what it looks like for us to love well in this world. All right? So first up, undoubtedly, okay, Scott joked about it before, I managed to find a few verses that spoke about love in the scriptures. Uh, You can't read the New Testament without coming across verses that declare that we should love one another. I'm just going to give you a few, okay, but there's more. There's at least 16, there's probably more that say it in slightly different wording and that sort of thing. But here we go, Uh, from John 13, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Uh, Paul in Romans, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Peter writes, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from your heart. A little bit later he says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. We are to love one another. And what's really important to, to understand here is, is you know, and this is an easy one to miss, is when that phrase gets used, it's talking about, it's not just saying love others. Okay, that's not the language that's being used there, is it? It's not simply you love others, it's love one another. It's reciprocal. It's, it's giving and receiving of love. And I actually think that this is an important one for us to get our heads around a little bit. Because I think that lots of us can be really good at this idea of of giving love out, of doing things for others, of, of being the lover, but for all sorts of different reasons, we can struggle sometimes to simply be loved, to, to, re- to receive love. There's lots of things that can happen in our lives and in our personal experiences and in the histories and journeys that we go on that can somehow convince us that we're not worthy of love. And so we, we, we you know, hate it when somebody gives us a compliment because we don't know what to do with it. I feel much more comfortable just not being seen or something like that because you know, if you express love for me, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. I never learned how to just be able to say thank you. Or when I'm really in trouble or, or I'm in a, a season of difficulty and that sort of stuff, to be open and honest and, and maybe simply to, to lean into the love that somebody else has for me, to, to stop from working and simply be willing to, to receive others, be a blessing to me and to be open and humble and, and vulnerable enough to actually receive that. Because that, that takes humility, right? To, to be willing to receive love as well as give it out. There's this, a little bit of a, maybe not, I don't know if I just want to call it pride, but but there's a little bit more of a a sense of self-assuredness or self-righteousness in in that sense of, you know, I'm good when I'm giving out love to others, ticking the boxes, fulfilling 
what I'm meant to be doing, loving well and all that sort of stuff. But the command is not just love others, it's love one another. It's a, it's a sharing of love. And it's in that space that the real relationship, real community actually begins to occur when we can be vulnerable and humble with one another and be willing to receive as well as give love. That we're not putting on you know, a front in order that I can fulfill the law and be loving to others, but you know, never actually able to take it myself. So the command is, love one another. And particularly there's an element of this where it applies to those who are, who are believers. The, the, the one another passage is that's who it's really talking to there. We're going to look in just a second that we're to love our neighbor. But in this Christian community, in this local church community, th- these are the one another relationships that we're meant to have. Now it comes with some risk. Because if we're meant to have this responsibility towards one another and sometimes we fail, which we do, we all do, it means that in love I also have to extend forgiveness to people. And so we have this sort of dual thing going on. We, we have this responsibility to love one another which raises the expectation that we will care for each other, but what that means is that when that expectation's failed it can be more difficult to deal with. Right, like sometimes it's actually easier. If I just set the bar really low, like people are just horrible and they don't love me and I'm just going to take care of myself, that's not necessarily healthy, but it protects me from my expectations being disappointed, right? But if I say, no, we are meant to love one another, now I put myself in a position where sometimes people are going to let me down. But as we're going to see, we, God makes a space for that as well, and we'll come to that in just a second. But like I said, we're to love it one another, and obviously we're to love our neighbor, right? Like we've heard before, Jesus talks about the most important command being to love the Lord our God, but then the second is love your neighbor as yourself. Not love one another, not necessarily the reciprocal idea. Most famously in the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, okay, there's no reciprocal sort of idea there. The Samaritan, the one who, who loves the man in need, it, it's simply giving out of himself. But we make sure that we have a posture of love towards all those that we actually come across. To, to meet their needs as we're able to. To extend affection and kindness and all those good things that go along with that. The, you know, again, interestingly though, there is that element there of love your neighbor as yourself. There's, if you're going to love others well, you also need to be able to feel as though, yeah, this, this is how I'd like to be loved. And I can't, like in one sermon, unpack all of your emotional problems. I mean, my goodness. You know, but, but there is an element here about we, we need to do some self-evaluating, right? Like, how, how do I want to be loved? What does that look like? Is this good? And ask yourself some of those questions if we're going to love others well. And this is the thing. You might be listening to this and actually thinking, man, that actually is a pretty high bar. Like, you can see already that that's going to take some work. And, and that's why it's so important that we understand that the reason that we love one another And the reason that we love our neighbor is because God's loved us first. That's the only thing that actually makes this stuff work. And again, we see this in Scripture again and again. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The one another doesn't stand alone. It flows forth from the fact that God has loved us. We love because he first loved us. He has given us the command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. 
which can be tough at times, but we do it, that must flows forth from the fact that God has loved us first. Jesus said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So Goody says it twice. A new command I give you, loving one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. There are times when people hurt us in horrible ways. There are times when people hurt others that we care about in really horrible ways. And if you're sneaky sort of extra addition to these verses are love one another if they deserve it, then you're really going to struggle. Because I guarantee you that at some point or another, we are all going to let each other down. We're all going to sin against each other. And our posture has to be that in those moments when we hurt one another, when we betray each other, when we say something we shouldn't, when we do something we, didn't, we, we shouldn't, when we fail to do something that we should, our posture in that moment has to be, I'm going to continue to love this person, not because they are deserving it, but because they are undeserving, just like I was when Christ first loved me. Now, if somebody's hurt me, my love for them does not immediately mean that I have to put myself back in a vulnerable position where they can just hurt me again. I'm not, I'm not saying that. All right, so sometimes when we're loving unlovely, unlovely people, we need to have boundaries in place to keep us safe in order that we might continue to love them. Just because somebody is blessed enough to receive my love because Christ has first loved me does not mean that I'm now simply going to, to take every beating that they throw at me. Now, as we're going to see in a second, there's still a sacrificial element to it. But the important thing is, is that as I figure out what those boundaries need to be, I'm still seeking to do it in love. It may very well be that a boundary is absolutely the most loving thing for them. But there's a big difference between setting a boundary in hate and rejection and accusation versus setting a boundary in love. Love has got to be the fundamental posture that we have towards everyone that we interact with in this world. And the way that we're able to do that is because we recognize that love for us is meant to be sacrificial. Again, Paul wrote, Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Love each other as I have loved you. What does that look like? Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. As we seek to have a posture towards the unlovely, as well as the lovely, it's good to love the people that you like as well. Again, 
the only way that we can do this is if first we understand that it flows forth from the fact that God's loved me first, not because they're worthy, but because God has loved me. That's why I love. And what that looks like at times is going to be painful. It's going to hurt. It's going to mean giving up things that I might otherwise get to enjoy. It's going to mean financially I'm going to lose out sometimes. Relationally I'm going to lose out sometimes. Convenience-wise I'm going to lose out pretty much all the time. It's going to mean that on, on all sorts of different levels, what it looks like to love others is to be willing to give and sacrifice. And again, if you're doing this with like, I will sacrifice because I think that in some way that's going to bless me and I'm going to reap a benefit or something like that, you're right, but if you think that that blessing means that things are going to come back around and bless me in this world, you're in trouble. Because everything that we do give out in this world, we know that there is a heavenly reward waiting for us. There, there is rich blessings in that. But so often I think that we can sort of get this thing like, I've sacrificed and I've given and I've given and I've poured out and I've poured out. Where's me? Where's mine? Where's my stuff? Whoa. The, the reason we love is it's not to get things. It's because Christ loved us first. And yes, Christ reaches, a, you know, he... he receives in a rich reward from his sacrifice. There's an eternal people that's waiting on the other side, but this is the thing. Our reward also, ultimately, is not promised to us in this world, but in the life to come. Last one is that it's good for us to recognize that in the midst of the, the sacrifice and grounding this in, in this, that love is a beautiful thing. That yes, it's hard, and yes, it can be difficult, but it's rich and it's beautiful. Listen to these middle verses from the 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that we didn't read out before. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. As I think back about Abelard and Heloise, that the destruction that the misplaced love wrought in their lives was, was because they didn't love in a way that was grounded in all these things that we're talking about. That, that at, for, for love for God, we make loving sacrifices in this world. We, we don't lovingly sacrifice all the things just to get our object of affection in this world. But when we, we love truly and rightly, love is not destructive. Love doesn't tear people apart. Love doesn't wound and hurt. Love never fails. It's patient. It's kind. It's not self-seeking. It doesn't delight in evil. It always perseveres. And for us to be a loving people, that, that's what we're committing to. That's what we're talking about. Now, like I said, we're going to mess it up. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be perfect, but as it, the scripture says before, love covers over a multitude of sins. And so as we seek to love, we can be ready to deal with sin in love and keep loving one another 
and ultimately be a people that live for God's glory by loving him well. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that you've revealed your love to us in Jesus. Thank you that in love you sent him into this world to die on the cross and pay the price for our sins that we might know you truly. Thank you, Father, for the example that you and Jesus have given to us. May we love like Christ loves. May we know the truth and beauty of genuine, godly love. May we remember well that love is to be in everything that we do. And as we love because you have first loved us, may we love one another. Humble, vulnerable, willing to give and receive love. And as we do this, Father, we pray that we would build a place here that gives you glory and honor, for you are love. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name.